Don't you know, Coo? Driver! Hello and welcome again to the Interstate Wrestling Podcast, the wrestling fan podcast that is bringing you on a journey of fandom, enthusiasm, adoration, passion and complete nerdism into the world of wrestling. I'm your co-host James. And I'm Josh Mordecai. It's Sunday and you know what that means. Time for us to do a quick rundown of this year's Double or Nothing card. Double or Nothing. Double or Nothing 3. Yeah. How has that happened? Talk about time flying, eh? Yeah, and this being such kind of a, a pipe dream at one point of, are they going to do it? Is a one-off? And now here we are, three years into these these shows. Three years into it, yeah, for sure. And it feels special, doesn't it? And obviously we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this as we, as we chat along, but it really does feel like their WrestleMania. I think I've made that analogue on a previous episode already. All in is their foundation. Double or Nothing was the was the branding, was their first pay-per-view with the AEW branding. It feels festive, it feels big, it feels like something special is about to go down again. Yeah, and as I'm sure we'll talk about, kind of what we talked about with Mania, expanding it beyond just the one night to become a bigger thing for their big show of the year. Before we do jump into uh, all of that and more, talking about expansions, I think we are the light at the end of the tunnel. Again, we're not a COVID-19 podcast, are we? But <laughs> holy shit, there are shows being announced left, right, and center. Yeah. Again, I don't want to make any sort of you know provocative or political statements. We're not a COVID-19 podcast, but we can ditch the masks in a couple of weeks. We can go to shows. Yeah. As we'll get into about Double or Nothing this year, it is a full capacity attendance WWE is putting together its touring roster. What do you make of this? I mean, it's going to feel weird, isn't it? After so long, 15 months, is that the count we're at? Yeah. Of, you know, scarcity, not being able to move. We'll talk about the double or nothing of last year, but nobody in the audience. What's your reaction to sort of all of this rolling out, rolling out hard and fast? It's exciting. It's still a little bit jarring, even just like I went to the grocery store the other day and it was weird, but exciting to think that we might get into those types of shows again at some time soon that rochester aw show will get rescheduled to a time where we can make it uh september october i think they're talking so exciting weird uh, um can't wait to actually get back and see some of this live i was laughing at home talking to my wife because i feel like i'm gonna flinch i feel like that's gonna be my reaction to seeing so many people in crowds at shows whether it be wrestling shows now or music is back i mean yeah tours are being announced left right and center and uh whether it be Double or Nothing, whether it be Money in the Bank is going to be in front of a full live audience. Yeah. I might flinch 52 times seeing that amount of people squeezed in together. And every time there's a crowd shot and you see somebody, for some reason, a new thing I've seen is wearing their masks around their chins instead of just completely off. So I don't get that. What is that? Like the reverse of a headband, a chin band? I mean, what is that? Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it'll be weird, but 
I'm looking forward to that becoming kind of the norm again. I feel like we are going to have to find a use for all of these Art Deco Nouveau cool masks that we've got. I mean, I certainly splurged on a couple masks from Pro Wrestling Tees because yeah. one of them was a Dustin Rhodes mask. So I clearly must own that. Well, naturally, yeah. <laughs> I've never worn it once. Uh, I opted for more um, surgical or, you know, KN95 masks. But hey, if that's the trend, then I'll put my Dustin Rhodes chin band around my uh, goatee here, you know. <laughs> this might be a great time to invest in styrofoam heads. You can keep your COVID masks. You can keep your Lucha masks. <laughs> just go up into people's attics or down into people's basements and just see hundreds of heads with all of these masks on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, El Snow was way ahead of his time. <laughs> the WWE missed out calling at WrestleMania by not having just foam heads with masks on, yeah. <laughs> Cardboard cutouts were so 1995. <laughs> but um, it's exciting, isn't it? It's, uh, again, light at the end of the tunnel. It um, seems to be here. I'm psyched to get to a show, for sure. Definitely, yeah. One more thing just to uh, highlight before we get into Double or Nothing. Talking about events coming up, the AAAR the Mexican promotion, AAA. I have a hard time saying AAA because it does sound like somebody's going to come tow my car, but my <laughs> bilingual abilities in Spanish are non-existent, so I hope I'm doing that justice, AAA. Andrade is going up against Kenny Omega. Did you see that announcement? Yeah, which again, feels like some weird three years ago fantasy booking that all of a sudden is a reality in 2021. That'll be a hell of a match. Yeah, yeah. I've caught bits of the last couple of years of the Triple R Triple Mania events, and they've been really good. Kind of tough to find. I think you kind of got to look on like Twitch streams and things like that to find them. But yeah, which was what Impact was running for a little bit too. So I guess Twitch is kind of an alternative place to run those types of shows. That'll definitely be worth finding and, and checking out because I think that'll be uh, something special. But um, I wonder if Mister Belt Collector will be losing something from his collection that weekend. Of course, I'm prone to call things completely fucking wrong. So, <laughs> Yeah, so don't commit, because then you're good either way. <laughs> I'll back off that one for now. <laughs> we are, of course, as is typically the case, dancing around our, our theme for tonight, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Double or nothing. Arguably the biggest pay-per-view on AEW's card. Of course, All Out will always be special because of its uh, relevance there, but Double or Nothing is where the AEW brand started, and we thought we'd take a look at the last couple of years of Double or Nothing's as well as preview the card for this one and what we're excited about. What do you say we hit the interstate and talk about Double or Nothing? Hell yeah, let's do it. Double or Nothing 3, Double or Nothing 2021, coming to you live from Daly's Place for the second year running with a full capacity audience in attendance. 5,500 people, I believe, is what will be in attendance. Now, interesting, WrestleMania had more people, but I think this is technically going to be the first show with 100% of allowable capacity. Every seat in the house will have somebody in it. No social distancing. 5,500 people. Remarkable, eh? Yeah. And like you said before, smaller than Mania ran, but no cardboard in that crowd, which is wild to think about going into it. And no foam heads with masks, as we just highlighted in the open, which is, uh, they've missed their opportunity. <laughs> but it, it's a big deal, isn't it? 
All Elite Wrestling have turned this into a full-blown weekend extravaganza. Now, of course, with other events in the past, they've had the StarCast events. StarCast 1, I believe, started with the first Double or Nothing. Mm -hmm. Caused a lot of controversy, if I recall correctly, because I believe a certain Mark Calloway was supposed to be going to that. And when Vince realized what he had signed on for, that quickly got yanked. Yeah. Always has had sort of its fan fest, fan situation to it, hasn't it? This year, Dynamite is airing on Friday. There is the fan expo or a fan fest on Saturday with meets and greets and all kinds of great stuff going on. And then the event itself. Mm -hmm. Kind of neat to see it come together in that regard, right? Yeah, and I would have to imagine that they're going to do some type of storyline something on that fan fest Saturday. I feel like that's become a really popular move in the past couple of years of have somebody show up, something unexpected happen. Even going back to Comic-Con with CM Punk during his Money in the Bank run where he shows up with the unofficial title after he's his contract's up and interrupts the action figure unveiling. So I'm curious to see what happens Saturday that will get replayed in the pre-show Sunday. That's always kind of an exciting thing to me. That's an excellent point. They've done weigh-ins in the past as well, yeah. which have had sort of a similar hullabaloo, sort of a preamp to whatever match is going to happen on the card, isn't it? So you would hope there's going to be something of that nature. That, that'll be neat. Yeah, and you have kind of a built-in weigh-in opportunity with one of the matches going on that night. So maybe there'll be something there. Before we get sort of too deep into Double or Nothing 3, Double or Nothing 2021, let's look back across the last two years. Two very different events, weren't they? For obvious reasons. The first one, inaugural under the AEW banner. Really a proof of concept beyond all in. And then, of course, the one last year was essentially to no audience, uh, aside from a few wrestlers playing the audience at the side of the ring at Daly's Place in the right in the precipice of the of the pandemic, really. I mean, that was when it was really on its escalated worst, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. What are your reflections? Uh, what are your what were standout things from that first double or nothing for you? The event as a whole, the build up to the whole matches from the night. Yeah, we've we've talked before about. I'm not great with specific matches. Like there's one that I think is kind of the obvious go-to that I think you'll also kind of call out as being like the standout match that night. But it really was kind of this almost like spectacle feel of this is kind of something new. And like you said, proof of concept, like will this actually have legs and watching it and just feeling like, holy shit, this is all that indie stuff I've been watching on a grand stage and the crowd is there for it. And it's fun at the same time that it's like entertaining and good wrestling, it's before you really had an idea of what AW was going to be. So that first one was just kind of cool as an experience of this is something new, right? It was, you didn't know what it was going to be by the end of it. So it's just kind of cool to be there for that moment that could potentially be like really historic in the history of professional wrestling. They were super creative in the buildups to it as well, weren't they? Which we've talked about before, but it, bears mentioning again here now is essentially there were really little to no build-ups aside from a few youtube videos unless you were really entrenched i would argue in a lot of the indies a lot of talent you didn't really know again a very similar concept a very similar exercise to what all in was but really embarking on this branding under that tony khan aw banner but they put together something very big with very little foundation essentially right and that anticipation, I have that level of excitement. Again, you, you know, I, I'm going to repeat the same point, not ignoring the seeds that were sown by All In, 
but put together something really exciting. I, I remember even just being eager to see what the stage set looked like, mm-hmm. knowing they needed to do something big, needed to do something special. It was going to be their marquee pay-per-view if you think in the context of WrestleMania, where you've got pirate ships and roller coasters, as we've talked about before, what was that stage set going to look like? And having sort of the two entrances was a genius idea, wasn't it? Which has ultimately evolved into mm-hmm. the heel and the face entrances and things of that nature. But you're totally right. I agree. They put together such anticipation for it coming together, didn't they? Yeah. And to go back to what you mentioned, kind of the cool piece of building so much of it kind of in non-traditional ways, things that Zack Ryder got, I hate to use the term because it's so like smarky, but Zack Ryder got buried for building up this character on YouTube. And then he ends up in a neck brace in a wheelchair being shoved off the stage so that they kind of kill that momentum. But then AEW turning around and so much even still of those stories being built online. I mean, you got BTE that you got to follow or you could follow for a deeper understanding. You've got Dark where you get to see some of that development ta- or, uh, talent develop. So yeah, using that kind of set apart too, where you could just kind of jump in for a fun show, but if you kind of known where to go to see some of the other stuff, you had a deeper understanding. So kind of striking that balance of being super dialed in versus just turning it on and being able to enjoy it either way. I think putting it in Vegas as well was an interesting and smart idea. Again, the MGM Grand Arena, mm-hmm. I don't know if it quite carries the notoriety the nostalgia of like an msg madison square garden but big fights big boxing events big things go down in vegas right so that seemed to be an astute geographic location to hold the first one because Mm -hmm. you know they're based out of florida they could have done it in florida and rather than just go to like you know they could have gone back to chicago which ultimately they did for all out didn't they The, the birth of all in vegas seemed to be a good it added the razzle-dazzle to the event, didn't it? And, of course, tying into the titling of it. Even, like, the entire branding of it, the fact that the stage has huge poker chips on it, and the Battle Royal is, what, the buy-in? Right. So kind of really theming it to both the show and the city. To that buy-in, to that Battle Royale, having the stipulations that, you know, five people come out according to suits of cards, and then the 21st entrant is the Joker, which is, uh, yeah, it's a neat idea. Yeah, and that feels very much like dusty booking of kind of a gimmick match, right? Like, it's it's kind of complex, but you can understand it, and there's this surprise element to it. Like, I feel like Dusty's fingerprints are all over that type of match. Funny talking about that Casino Battle Royale, because uh, I was taking a little bit of a flip back through both the first and second Double or Nothing in preparation for, for us chatting about it tonight, and... I deliberately looked at that first Casino Battle Royale. So many of the faces now are familiar to me because now I've gotten to know who they are. So, you know, like SCU and, you know, people on the card. I had no idea who Britt Baker was pre-All Elite Wrestling. Mm -hmm. But I was looking at that Casino Battle Royale and it really is an extension of the relationships and collaboration they had carried the favor of from All In and got talent on the card as a whole, but in the Battle Royale because Tommy Dreamer is in the Battle Royale. There's a guy by the name of Dustin Thomas, who is the gentleman with the with the amputations, who puts in some great spots in that Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. There's people that they got on the card that ultimately 
haven't actually signed or haven't actually evolved into career positions with AEW yet. AC Romero is another one who's in that battle royale. And it was just interesting going back now at the time two years ago, not really knowing who some of those people were to now them being very familiar and seeing who did stay with the company, who didn't. Interesting just to see some of those faces that cropped up in it. And those three specific names, I think, are kind of a cool thing with how that kind of set the stage for them, where it's okay, these are some new names that maybe we're not familiar with, but also you're building a lot of goodwill by bringing in somebody like Tommy Dreamer, who's going to be that big kind of nostalgia pop. When we did, I think it was two years ago, Matt and I went to To The Season, Every Time I Die Christmas show, and they have a a wrestling segment before the bands play. And Tommy Dreamer was a surprise entrant in one uh, one match. And I don't think I've ever lost my mind at a wrestling show like i did when i saw tommy dreamer come out <laughs> so for them to do that i'm like you can find the video on iwtv like front row picking up and slamming the guardrail type of freaking out <laughs> the tommy dreamer's there and they have him on your first major show like there's gotta be people across the country jumping off their couches to see tommy dreamer like that and he has a great fucking entrance into that match as well because he just comes down the ramp and I forget now whether he brings the trash can with him or whether he drags it out from under the ring. Yeah. But he wastes no time just getting some plunder straight into the match. And he just like <laughs> throws the trash can in, debris everywhere. He's got the lid and he's just going around systematically whacking all of the other like 80 <laughs> people in the ring directly like doming them you know with the with the trash can lid yeah straight heat wave 97 yeah yeah <laughs> he has a brilliant entrance that match yeah similarly brave move with a lot of the female japanese talent that was on that card as well you know obviously rio shida are now staple names in AEW, mm-hmm. but asia kong emmy sakura yeah Names of that nature that are completely lost on me. But as I go back reflectively and look at that, I think that's a really brave move. And obviously that's driven by Kenny, isn't it? By Kenny Omega and his support of female Japanese wrestling and the Joshi wrestling scene, wanting to bring some of these talents over and, and expose them. And the six women tag is such a good match. It's amazing. Right. That's a brave move, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because there's, you know, the women's division is pretty small at that point. It's before Dynamite exists. It's before there's a women's belt announced. Brave move. Yeah. And I think introducing kind of a new dynamic to women's wrestling that a lot of American fans weren't familiar with, myself included. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm like big time Joshi historian. I was aware of it, but not super familiar. But I think it kind of opened a lot of people's eyes of what women's wrestling could be after so long of being divas and butterfly belts and that women's revolution starting and now here's this additional layer that influenced kind of the four horsewomen in nxt specifically sasha being so driven by that and then seeing kind of the influence in person a couple of the sort of standout moments from that first night curious to pick your brain see how this landed for you at the time and now posthumously the whole throne breaker Cody coming out and the whole sort of Triple H gimmick, inarguably, clearly what it was, right? It was Triple H's cross, it was the skulls, it was taking the sledgehammer, also a signature, yeah. and really announcing there is another game in town now. Right. Did they need to do that at that point in time? Yeah, I mean, I honestly forgot that. It's funny you mentioned that. I forgot that even happened until there are some posts today with the whatever AW action figure line, and Cody is wearing the Thronebreaker t-shirt. I was like, oh, that was a thing. It feels really on the nose to me. Sure. Because like you said, there's so many, there's so many things that are very clearly, this is a shot at Triple H. 
that I, I don't know. It, it didn't really land with me at the time. And like I said, it's pretty forgettable. There could have been a, a better way to kind of make that announcement. Something a little bit more subtle, I guess. Because there's a lot of things that AEW does where you you catch it. It's not like explicitly in your face, like straight down the barrel, wink at the camera type thing. And that very much was. I don't know if that's how you kind of saw it too. I think that's well said. It was definitely, it broke the fourth wall. It was, you know, eye contact with the with the center of the lens on the camera, right? Yeah. I think, I, and I guess I still think at this point in time, it, it was a fun spot. It was, you know, it was it was fun comedically to do, to kind of give the proverbial bird. But so new out of the gates, I think my feeling, if I'm going to be opinionated about it, is they didn't need to do that that early mm-hmm. they had enough like we were just talking about with gimmicks like the casino battle royale and that being a slightly different way to set up a battle royale with the deck of card themes and the surprise entrance and then sort of putting the joshi talent on a national stage like they had enough going for them mm-hmm. that i would have loved for them to stand on their own at that point that said i also can't really blame cody for wanting to come out and just be like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, first opportunity, first pay-per-view, national stage, we've done it, here we are. I'm going to take that signature sledgehammer, I'm going to smash up your signature logos and all the rest of it. So it was a fun spot, it was worth a laugh. It was a bit too right on the nose, but I can see the peevishness, is that the right word? Playful peevishness? Yeah, a a family that has a, a history with turning the man's chicken shit into chicken salad. And now he has the chance to fire a shot across there about, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waste not opportunities, eh? Yeah. Talk about that first card holding its own. For me, there were three main events on that night because the Cody Dustin match was just, we talked about that before. Mm-hmm. It got Meltzer's five star rating. It was amazing. I still go back and watch that. My wife will walk into the living room and go, why are you watching this again? <laughs> <laughs> If I just need a good 20 minute fix of something, the Cody Dustin double or nothing match for me is is amazing. And then you've got the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers for that AAA title. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. So from a marquee point of view, from the, again, I would call it three main events really on that night. It was solid as hell, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think three very kind of, if you look at kind of what the roots of AWR. I think those three matches are really good examples of those roots showing through. That Cody Dustin, very kind of bloody, old school type of match. Lucha Bros, Young Bucks being a very PWG style match. And then Jericho Omega being a New Japan match. Right, You get these big influences in those three matches, kind of them putting it right out. Like, this is what this company is going to be. And I think the show overall was a pretty good kind of uh, preview of what AEW is going to be as a whole. That's an excellent point. It really set their stall out, didn't it? Again, tremendous point of the different flavors you could come to expect. And now you can see sort of again, reflectively, are very apparent, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And then a year later, very different scene. I should add for a, a moment of humble brag, I had tickets for Double or Nothing 2, which became tickets for Double or Nothing 3, which became cancelled tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to get out to Vegas, even if it was happening in Vegas this year, for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. Double or Nothing 2 moves to Daly's Place. A very different aesthetic, by proxy of circumstance, by proxy of times. We've said before, we we talked about this on our card subject to change. Remarkable that 
AEW had Daly's place to camp out at, that they've got this ready-made arena that they can sort of just move into, set stage, set camp, mm-hmm. put together everything. And I thought they did a really good job with the second double or nothing. Again, they had all of the casino gimmicks. I was realizing watching it back the other day, I, I, I'm not sure I consciously paid attention to this last year, but they had a video screen sort of right at the top of the stage between the two tunnels that essentially was a fruit machine that each time a match started, it spun and it might like have, you know, the championship bell or it might have like a poker chip or stuff. Oh, wow. And throughout matches going on, this fruit machine's just going and eventually, I think it hits, it lines up when the AEW championship match is going on. But there were nice little subtle touches like on either side of the ring mm-hmm. were, because obviously the main event was Moxley versus Brody Lee for the AEW championship. Yeah. And there were sort of the caricature, the art-drawn playing cards, the king's of diamonds hearts whatever they were one of brody on one side one of moxley on the other mm-hmm. because at that point daily's place looks pretty familiar to people so to dress it up to give it that pay-per-view that big stage feel they did a nice job with that i thought and again gives it kind of big show feel in a very different time and i think they were able to because that was post mania right right so they were able to kind of use that model. It's that thing of when you're in school and you have to give a presentation, go second so that the first person, you can see what mistakes they make and your presentation looks a little bit better in comparison. So double or nothing, be able to go after mania, they can kind of pull some of the things that worked or didn't work and kind of dress up the show that way. Yeah, because obviously Mania 36 was done out of the PC, wasn't it? Yeah. I think there could be argument made or there could be debate in... Though WWE had a base where it wasn't an arena, where it wasn't a publicly accessible forum to see stuff, AEW maybe got the leg up on that. Uh, Not only for Double or Nothing, but Dynamite tapings. They were able to introduce fans pretty quickly, weren't they? I forget the date that they started to do pods and stuff, but they were able to get fans back in the audience quite quickly. Yeah, and doing the wrestlers on the side to look like a crowd and kind of give that energy... I think it took a little bit because that mania was like, completely empty and AEW pretty quickly started packing their talent on the sides of the ring to make it feel like there was a little bit of a crowd there. I'm afraid I have to correct you. Uh, according to the official WWE statistics, uh, there was 72,000 people at Mania 36. <laughs> All form heads with masks again. That's just in the first three rows. <laughs> But yeah, they looked out with Daly's plays, didn't they? And put together a very strong, compelling card again. Mm -hmm. Well publicized, well talked about. They lost a lot of talent in the early stages of the pandemic, didn't they? People being stuck, you know, in their geographic homes and things. Mm -hmm. They were putting together shows on something like 20% of the roster or something like that. They managed to get start to get people back for double or nothing and put together a, a super solid card. I mean, creatively, again, pivoted, you know, struggling for... Uh, available talent to perform yeah the casino battle royale became the casino ladder match with of course the surprise entrance ultimately being brian cage that was awesome that was a phenomenal match that for me really started to showcase orange cassidy because he had some great spots in that yeah and actually to flip back to the blow nothing one for a second he had a really great spot where he was <laughs> he sort of crashed the party i think he was the 22nd entrant <laughs> to the battle royale in the first one and sort of decided to take a pop at tommy dreamer <laughs> who just you know fucking launched him out of the ring yeah. but <laughs> i feel like that 
ladder match at Double or Nothing to really showcased Orange Cassidy for me. He came out with a little step stool and was like sort of trying to apathetically reach and the chip was still, you know, 20 feet above his head or whatever. That was where his gimmick really got over for me. Yeah, and then being able to net long after that really open up and show how good he actually is. The stuff he does with his hands in his pockets, when you really start to think about it, is insane. That kip-up he does, where he does a tope with his hands in his pockets, like, for sure being introduced as this kind of, like, goofy, lovable character, and then being able to open up to show people what he can do. Yeah, when he hits the accelerator, he's amazing, isn't he? I, I thought that Mimosa Mayhem match that he had with Jericho, yeah. super fun gimmick, super goofy match, good idea, dump your opponent in the tank. I know that caught a lot of flack, but in essence, how is that really any different than a casket match or a buried alive match? You're just going into a vat of alleged champagne and orange (laughs) juice. Bubbly. A little bit of the bubbly, right? (laughs) And he looked great against Jericho there. Again, Jericho, I think, doing a lot of work to make the match look good as well, but Orange Cassidy looked amazing in that match. Yeah. And Orange Cassidy spent time in Chikara under a mask and was one of the better wrestlers in Chikara, which is saying something because there were some some incredible technicians in that company over time, and he was a standout. I had forgotten that he was under a mask there. Yeah. A fire ant? Is that who he was? Yeah. Yep. Not to break the, the grape jelly jar, as they say. But yeah, that was the time when it was uh, him as fire ant, and then hot sauce Tracy Williams was green ant, now in ROH, and soldier ant was Drew Gulak. What a hell of a trio that is. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they would have matches against best friends. So you'd have them against Chucky e. T and Trent. And then a swamp monster who was whoever was backstage that put on the ghillie suit. So apparently at King of Trios 2014, it was Pete Dunn as a swamp monster. That's that's the, the rumor. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As an aside, one of the best Orange Cassidy matches I've seen. I forget where it is, but I believe it's Jervis Cottonbelly versus Orange Cassidy. And I think Bryce might even be the referee. And Orange Cassidy's just asleep in the ring and they're sort of being quiet and getting pillows and they're trying to pin him. And Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal match. It's so good. That could very well be a Chikara match with that combination of people. Right, of course, with Brycey being in Chikara there for a good amount of time as well. Yeah. I love that. Just he sort of rolls out of the pin attempt to stick his thumb in his mouth and it's just (laughs) so well delivered. Yeah. So fucking good. Yeah. But what else stood out from the second double or nothing? thinking back to uh, how that delivered in the context of a no audience pandemic pay-per-view yeah i mean i i feel like i'm kind of jumping the gun but the stadium stampede match is my go-to for that show as far as the standout for that yeah what are your thoughts on that because (laughs) (laughs) you are wheeling straight for the tank there aren't you that's awesome (laughs) it was special wasn't it yeah there were so many like goofy fun things i'm a fan of goofiness in wrestling I like when a show is serious, when it's high stakes, but when it's just ridiculous and you can have fun with it, I'm all about it. And that's like exactly what that match was. Adam Page riding the horse all the way across the stadium. Was it Nick Jackson doing that 100-yard missile assault man rolling Northern Lights suplex across the entire stadium? The pool, which is very like DDT. I watched it again the other day, lost my mind at uh, Adam Page and... Jake Hager sitting down and having whiskey, like the ballroom scene in The Shining. <laughs> like, I'm expecting Grady to be on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that spot in it. Yeah, it was just, there were so many, like, there's so many small things in it that kind of pop up as being just fun. 
which I love in wrestling, but especially at that point in wrestling, was just nice to be like, oh, this is this is dumb, and I can have fun watching it. But at the same time, being a fun wrestling match. It had all of the ingredients from anything you would want. It had some of the the big spots, you know, Kenny's one-wing angel finish. It had that pool scene with Broken Matt Hardy and Santana and Ortiz, and him going through the different iterations of Broken Matt Hardy was just so good. Yeah. You know, I was realizing, I was listening to Chris Jericho's podcast. I was listening to him talk about the recent Blood and Guts match. And of course, the original Blood and Guts was supposed to have been last year, I think in New Jersey, when they were sort of, you know, would have had their first New York show. And it would have been the Inner Circle versus the Elite. And and for everything that happened, Mm -hmm. everything that happened with the pandemic, it couldn't play out. And Jericho was sort of highlighting they needed something to keep the continuity of the story, which is how the stadium stampede came about. And in my mind, I, I felt like I wanted to give it props for those reasons that one, it delivered so well but it made sure the storyline didn't get lost because they could have just easily written off like there's supposed to be this blood and guts match and then it went nowhere and didn't go anywhere. The story had to culminate somewhere, didn't it? Right. And what you got was the the stadium stampede, which was not a terrible trade-off at all. It really set the stage for some, uh, you know, because you had the golf cart spots, didn't you? Certainly succeeding double or nothing last year i did think at several points in time that sammy Guevara and matt hardy were actually physically going to kill each other Mm -hmm. and i think if you follow matt hardy's wife on twitter i think she thought somebody was actually going to die as well (laughs) i'm glad that storyline and that feud is over because there was some uh the all-out spot where he fell on his head on the concrete was rough yeah but yeah, the stadium stampede was was just so good. And to use the whole environment as well, I mean, it was a fucking stadium. <laughs> it was 65,000 seats or whatever it was. And they had yeah. the stuff on the playing field. They had the stuff off of the, the goal. They had the stuff on the concourse. I mean, yeah, so well put together and a really well-delivered cinematic match because ultimately it was filmed the day before, I think, of the actual in-ring matches. Yeah. I liked that delivery of a cinematic match where it felt like a wrestling match in a in a set environment. Yeah, and again, had the benefit of being a really early example of a cinematic match like that and being able to kind of set the stage for what that might look like. We should definitely highlight as well the other main event from that. We already touched on it. Brody Lee. Brody Lee got an outing in a championship match against Moxley. Mm. I was so there for that. They had built the Exalted One up to be so sinister, so big. Of course he should walk into title match. I mean, because he debuted, should have debuted at that Rochester show, right? Yeah. So in essence, it's probably only about six weeks, eight weeks max that he walks into a title picture. Absolutely deserved. And that match is great when you go back and look at it yep you know not to make too somber a point that and the the two tnt championship matches he has with cody Brody lee really does drive home again that he's uh, he's gone way 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 too soon what he could have amounted to but him and moxley don't half go at it in that match superb match two guys who aren't afraid to beat the shit out of each other right going into that match i mean moxley's history with deathmatch stuff is pretty well covered at this point but some of Brody's early stuff, if you look at his matches with Grizzly Redwood in the early 2010s, a guy who weighs 140 pounds soaking wet with a pack of quarters and Brody just launching him, right? Or the clip where he takes Tim Dodd's head off as soon as the bell rings over Bryce's shoulders, which they repeat that spot at some point in AEW. 
so yeah, two guys who are willing to beat the hell out of each other and get the hell beaten out of them in a high stakes match. How can that go wrong? You know? Absolutely. Speaking of the TNT Championship, of course, this double or nothing is where the belt debuted. And it was, of course, a, a half finished belt at that point in time because of limitations and challenges again with the pandemic. But um, that's where we got to see the TNT Championship first. And that was Lance Archer in that picture at that point in time, which uh, as we get into this year's double or nothing, I believe he's he's taking Miro on for the belt this year. A match that does deserve a shout as well from that night is the Jungle Boy MJF match having gone back and sort of just danced through the event quickly in the last few days, go back and look at that MJF Jungle Boy match. If you're listening to this, go back and and, and check that match out again. It's superb. There's a point where they lock up legs together and sort of reverse crab, push each other up. So then like their legs are sort of locked up in the air and they're looking at each other. They're on their heads on the mat at this point. And then they just start taking face slap shots to each other and smacking each other. And <laughs> there's a really grim spot as well where it's almost like, I think it's like a Canadian destroyer or something like that, but where Jungle Boy flips MJF on the apron of the ring and fuck, doesn't he half land on his neck? But it just is a real, it's kind of a really subtle technical masterpiece because you've got MJF who could sell Sand of the Desert as a heel at this point, right? <laughs> Jungle Boy, relatively fresh-faced, yeah. still sort of establishing himself. He's obviously in the Jurassic Express gimmick at this point, but still not really on a an A-list stage for AEW at this point. I think he's on a massive trajectory, Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Mm-hmm. But they put on a, what I would term, massively underrated. It's so good. Well worth going back and checking that out again. Yeah, I have to do that. Like I've said before, I've... I have a massive blind spot when it comes to MJF, which I feel like is fading a little bit after that Blood and Guts match. But yeah, that's when I have to go back and, and rewatch for sure. What's the blind spot with MJF? I just I just don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I understand, like, that means he's effective as a heel. I was going to say, does that mean he's doing his job? It must, but I don't know. I just, it's just something about him. Like, even off TV, like, I see somebody retweet him. And I roll my eyes. Like I, There's just something about him that I do not like. And maybe it is that he's just playing his role so effectively, but disliked him to the point where I would not watch his matches on IWTV for a while. Yeah? Yeah, I don't... Good for him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely pondered a lot, especially you talk about the stuff off of TV. So obviously when he's, you know, he's in the ring or when he's cutting his promos or whatever, that's one thing. But the amount of footage that's out there sort of in civilian world, if that's what you want to call it, sort of at StarCast. Yeah. And maybe he's clinging to the last great purveyance of kayfabe, but he does not dial it down, does he? I mean, he is offensive. He's provocative. He's rude. There's a clip, and I think it was the StarCast they did in Baltimore. So I think it's StarCast 4. And the clip was a guy who was in a wheelchair goes up to MJF and his buddy's filming it, whatever. Okay. And the guy goes to MJF, how are you doing? And MJF, without skipping a beat, goes, better, I can walk. <sighs> Jesus. It's like, ah, fuck, is, is that, are you purveying the character? I'm, I've got to hope. Yeah. I've got to hope. Yeah. And to the point, maybe he just does his job effectively. The other famous cringeworthy spot, going back to the first double or nothing, is when Brett is unveiling the championship belt and 
Adam Page is in the ring because he's obviously coming to take a look at the belt because he is then going on to face Jericho at All Out to decide the first champion, right? And MJF comes out and instantly goes, Brett Duck, there's a fan. (laughs) Harking back to that Hall of Fame incident that we've talked about before. Sure, yeah. And like, fuck, he does not miss a beat. No, and like makes you legitimately want to see him get the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> yeah. So like, I guess he's good at his job. To ask, I don't know if it's a leading question or if I'm sort of poking a little bit. I feel like he sells like Ric Flair for me. Well, I mean, he says it like, I'm rich and I'm better than you type of thing. I mean, that's definitely the kind of Ric Flair energy from the 80s. Mm-hmm. We talks about my watch costs more than your house. And I'm having trouble keeping these alligators on my feet. Yeah. But just dialed up to not just because I'm wealthy, but because I'm better than everyone. Yeah. It's definitely uh, to go with the Spinal Tap reference. He's turned up to 11, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah. Even down to when he sells in the ring, though, like, I always think those famous spots with Ric Flair where he's taking sort of the, you know, the shots to the face, he's taking sort of the punches, and Flair would walk from the buckle, wouldn't he, to the middle of the ring, and then just sort of, like, launch himself up and face dive to sell the head injury. Yeah, the flare flag. Right. <laughs> and I think you're right. MJF has sort of well publicized that he aims to be or aspires to nods to these classic legends. Yeah. But um, Jerry's out for me as well. I um, He rubs me the wrong way, but I can't not look at him yet. Like I said, the, the Blood and Guts match, I enjoyed what he was doing in that. So there's hope, I guess. We'll come back to that down the road because I'll be interested to see where that where that lies for you, um, especially as we momentarily bridge into this double or nothing. Yeah. He's got a stadium stampede out in. Yeah. Interesting to see how that plays out for several different reasons, because as we've just discussed, there's a pretty high bar set on that match, isn't they? But of course, it's the pinnacle versus the inner circle. But yeah, just to close out on double or nothing too, essentially, for their first pay-per-view in the context of everything that was going on last year, it was super solid, wasn't it? It was just such a fun event. And I think having that stadium stampede that broke up, granted it was the last match, but you weren't just looking at matches to an empty arena. You then had this thing to look forward to in this stadium as well. Like it changed the beat, it changed the speed of the pay-per-view a little bit for me as well, which was a which was a smart move. Again, not that it was a bad pay-per-view. No, I would agree. And I think that's one of the strengths of night one of Mania last year too, was ending with that Boneyard match with Undertaker and AJ Styles, where it's just like a half an hour long movie to end the show and just do something a little bit different, almost like a, a, a recognition of this is a weird year. Let's do something weird and different and light to kind of end this, send them home happy type of thing. That's exactly what it was, wasn't it? Because you're tuning into this stuff, especially last year for relief, entertainment, bit of escapism, distraction, mm-hmm. fun as hell to watch. I love the Kevin Owens match from that. Mania Night 1 of last year as well, jumping off the sign because he was determined to jump off something. (laughs) But having the Boneyard match, having the Firefly Funhouse match, having the Stadium Stampede gave you that escapism from looking at the empty performance (laughs) centre. It did give you that escapism. Mm -hmm. But here we are, 2021, full attendance, 5,500 people. We said it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 100% of seats are available for sale at Daly's Place for Double or Nothing 2021. Spoiler, I'm going to take a bit of a heel turn on this one, Josh. I am not super jazzed for this card. I think it feels a bit light compared to 
the caliber talent and the precedent that's been set. Yeah. What do you think about going into Double or Nothing 2021, just as a as a whole, and then we'll kind of dive down into some of the matches and break down what's going on. But where do you lie in anticipation going into the event? I think what you're saying makes total sense because there's not so much of that who's going to show up type of thing. There is a surprise entrant in your Battle Royale this year, but there's a Stadium Stampede match. Now we actually have something to measure that against, so I get why that's less enticing, I guess. I totally get that view of it. It's not as novel as it was a year ago or two years ago. And AEW kind of has a habit of not really sticking the landing on things. They do a really nice job of build, and then it seems like they have a habit of doing something that kind of leaves you at the end like, oh, that could have gone a little bit better. So I feel like that's kind of keeping the pattern if we're concerned this their big show of the year. That's a good point, isn't it? As we reflected from Revolution, the exploding ring, the anticipation, massively built. Mm-hmm. Um, the finish, a little anticlimactic, all said and done. Yeah. And same with the camera angle on that Blood and Guts match, where you see that he's landing on a six foot deep crash pad, right? Like it's cardboard that he's landing on. Same type of thing. I think it started for me, I am having a little bit of a hard time with Kenny's current character. I love Kenny Omega. Phenomenal wrestler. No argument, right? Sure. I have posthumously gone back and looked at like, you know, the series of stuff with Okada and the matches with Ibushi and some of his classic greats in Japan. And I certainly didn't know who he was until I started to get into AEW. And he's had some tremendous outings in AEW, the Chris Jericho match, the fights with Moxley. Right. But um, I'm having a hard time rationalizing this. He's almost like a playboy-esque character now, isn't he? And I thought the addition of Don Callis was great at the beginning. And maybe it's just kind of the whole sort of embellishment of what's happening. Mm -hmm. I was watching Dynamite, the last Dynamite last week, and seeing the books come out. And both my wife and I, who invariably gets forced to sit and watch it because it's on TV now, (laughs) we both sort of in chorus went, what the fuck have the books got on their head? Yeah. I don't know if I'm just not getting it or if it's just not selling to me, but part of where my criticism, my pre-criticism, playing the heel on this a little bit right now for this discussion, I feel like the main event seems a bit half-assed. I'm not into Kenny's character, and I'm not quite sure how Pac and Orange Cassidy have inserted themselves into a title picture. Do I think Pac and Orange Cassidy are great? Sure. Do I believably think they can beat Kenny Omega, or that they would be the face of the company right now? I'm kind of struggling with that. Yeah, and I wonder if that's kind of a result of that kind of scary ending of that Pac uh, Orange Cassidy match and Dynamite. That this is kind of the audible they had to call because they didn't get a decisive winner, because there was that really scary lager bomb on Orange. So, again, going to Saturday though, maybe they do something Saturday to kind of change that around. I definitely agree with the Bucks being kind of a. I don't know. There's this weird, like, they want to be heat magnets, but do it in a really kind of weird way that they're doing right now. That's a great call, saying Kenny is being kind of the playboy character, even with the way he's dressing, kind of calling back the Ric Flair, Four Horsemen type of thing, too, right? Like the alligator shoes, the nice clothing, the sunglasses, the whole kind of superstition thing. It's like his gear. He looks convincing when he's kind of got that terminator cloak on doesn't he or he's kind of got that anime gear on i find him convincing to be the cleaner 
more than I do jet setting, limousine riding. Jet flying. There's a Ric Flair promo in there. So I'm gonna... Just stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a right. gun. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll stop ragging on it for now. That's my initial statement. I'm psyched as hell. Of course, I'm tuning in. I can't wait for Sunday night. Sure. I'm psyched just to see how it sort of plays out with the full crowd and attendance. Let's take a flyby of the card, run down the matches, yeah. see what else is uh, is coming down. Already mentioned, the main event is a three-way match. At the risk of provoking our good friend and brother from the Beer Review Journal, McKenneth Blue, once again, <laughs> three-ways don't do a lot for me. Somebody gets left out. I can hear the ridicule I'm going to get for saying that twice now on two separate episodes, but um, I guess I'm not done ragging on this point. <laughs> I'm not really into three-way title defenses either. It's a triple threat match. Yeah, I was going to say the benefit is that you'll get ragged down with a very convincing accent from a Kenneth on it. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, McKenneth. The popular opinion around here is that it's um, it's a poor man's Russell Brand. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think it'll be... I don't know. It depends on how much kind of fuckery happens too with Don Callis there and what happens with Saturday. You got the Young Bucks who are going to get involved in some way. There's a lot of ways it could get interesting, but yeah, if there was one fewer or one more, you might kind of have some more opportunities to mix things up. But I'm willing to, to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, fair enough. Notably, talking about interference and fuckery, the Good Brothers are nowhere to be seen on the card, so definitely anticipate something happening there. Yeah, The books, of course, have got a title defense against Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, who, I'm sorry, we've said before, Please give Eddie Kingston the microphone at all times, for all days, forever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy that Eddie Kingston is getting this stage like he is. Like, it's just, just the best possible outcome. Yeah. So excited for that. He has had some tremendous one-liners over the last couple of weeks with him and Mox teaming up. Speaking of the books, when Moxley and Kingston were beating up the trailer, smashing the windows, Eddie Kingston's just so nonchalant, isn't he? Moxley whipped the bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kingston, without skipping me, goes something to the effect of, you know, do you want to give me a heads up before you throw a bat at me next time? Like, he just doesn't. (laughs) You've got to watch Eddie Kingston all of the time because there's just dynamite, pun intended, in everything he does. Yeah. I'm semi on the fence about that. Again, I I don't mean to be bitter or whatever, but I feel like Mox and Kingston have walked quickly into a title match against the Bucks here. Yeah, I can see that. And they've only been a tag team since, what, couple months right yeah a couple months maybe i get that a little bit more build on that relationship before throwing them into that title unless it's just that they just want to like beat the hell out of people and that's what they both enjoy so i gotta do it get some gold that's a good way to angle that isn't it is they're just ready to beat up why beat about the bush have at it i do like the kind of the pairing of eddie kingston who's very kind of measured and john moxley who's kind of unhinged and the two of them just going for it like there's something just (laughs) fun about that that pairing of characters if it's not those guys it feels like the like two cartoon dogs right like (laughs) one constantly wants to go and the other is like hanging back a little bit that's kind of what that feels like right that's excellent (laughs) yeah i'm definitely there for them as a tag team and as a duo and even as like single matches respectively with the other one in each other's corner yeah that was a great thing to come out of that 
last pay-per-view with that exploding ring was that whole thing, which I guess there's the time frame on them being together, isn't it? It's since the last pay-per-view. So mm-hmm. we talked about this already. Lance Archer's back in a TNT title picture. Right. Miro, the newly crowned champion after just recently beating Darby Allen. Right. Lance Archer, Murderhawk, he's going to get another go at this. And he seems to be straddling or at least brushing right up against being a face at the moment, doesn't he, Lance Archer? Yeah. And this is, you could probably tell from the way I just reacted to that, kind of my version of what you were saying. (laughs) This is a very kind of like, it's a match on the card type of matches. Like this isn't really the one I'm looking forward to. I don't don't know. I don't know how you're feeling about this particular match. I want to see Lance Archer get more exposition, more exposed opportunities. I thought it was a great outing with Cody Lasher. And he seems to have languished a little bit. I think they've been trying to find spots for him to do stuff. Mm -hmm. He's still obviously got Jake the Snake by his side, which I think is a great pairing. But again, I think I would want a little bit more of a build of this. I'd want to see... Yeah. Because there are two big dudes, aren't they? This could be a beat the hell out of each other match as well. Yeah. But I, I feel like the context of it would sit better with me if there's more sort of like, you know, smashing each other's heads into lockers in the backstage area or that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of a blood feud feeling for these two big dudes that just beat the hell out of each other. Right. Interesting, on the card, Sting is going to make an in-ring return. Obviously tagging with Darby Allen with the newly formed Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. Yeah. This has had some build. What do you make of this? So this is one I'm, I'm excited about. We talked a little bit about Ethan Page being kind of like the surprise, surprise guy, the guy that you wouldn't think would be the surprise. I think the stuff he's done with Darby has been great. Like, again, just little things. Yelling, I will be the nail in your coffin before throwing him down the stairs <laughs> is great. That's a, an objectively good line when you're throwing Darby Allen down the stairs. This one I'm excited about. I think Sting will probably do some, just some very little stuff. I think it's going to be mostly Darby taking a beating and maybe Sting coming in with a hot tag or vice versa. Sting getting beat down for a while and Darby coming in and working the lion's share of the match. But I think this could be a really fun match. He's taken a couple calculated bumps, hasn't he? He took that power bomb from Brian Cage. He seems to be cleared or seems to be able to take some bumps. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be amazing to see him back in in-ring action. And and I agree, there's some real nice context, there's some real nice build to this, isn't there? Yeah, and they don't have to do anything crazy with him. They could just do some real like sadistic cutting the ring in half, not letting him get the Darby type of stuff, and have it be just as effective as these huge put-him-through-nine-flaming-tables type spots, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a women's title defense. Sheeta's been the champion now for a year straight because she won it last year from Nyla Rose, didn't she? Mm-hmm. I think I feel lukewarm about this simply because I feel like the outcome is inevitable. I think Britt Baker takes the belt. I am prone to calling things wrong, as we've established. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. What are your thoughts on why that's kind of foregone right now? I think because it's been a year, it's time for a new champion. I think Brit has just been built and built and built and built mm-hmm. from the feuds with Nyla, the feuds with Tay Conti, the feuds with even just the promo stuff with Tony Schiavone and with Reba. I think she is the female face of the company right now, Britt Baker. Extraordinarily talented, the both of them. I think Britt Baker takes the belt. I do think they'll put on a stellar match, though. Yeah. Let's see. We already talked about the stadium stampede. You've got the pinnacle. You've got the inner circle. Really excited for this, but just to see 
how it measures against the last year stadium stampede. I think they've set a really nice foundation with blood and guts. Mm. They're well balanced teams as well. Yeah. Because they all offset each other. So Jake Hagar cancels out Wardlow, Santana and Ortiz cancel out FTR, Sean Spears cancels out Sammy Guevara and then Jericho and MGF. Like it's just, it's very evenly balanced as well. So I've got high expectations for this and I'm totally there for it. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they pull out, especially since, like we just said, they also set such a high bar with that first one that now, like, what are they going to do to make it as good as, not even better than, the first one? Right. Or to take it in a completely different direction to make it less comedy. And this is just like, it's a blood feud now. Like, this is going to be brutality on that football field. Yeah, I guess we could anticipate some significant raising of the bar, right? Yeah. Bigger spots, bigger stunts, bigger moves, bigger everything, right? More blood. More blood. Yeah. Excited for that. Totally excited for that. Mm -hmm. Rounding off, Cody is facing Anthony Agogo, which this feels like an exhibition to me. This feels like this is this British guy Mm -hmm. that they cherry picked to start their sort of international development of talent. And Cody is doing the work here to put Anthony Agogo over. Which is great. I, I commend that. Like, this is a way to put mm-hmm. this new guy, this developmental guy, this guy that was an Olympian turned pro wrestler, really give him some build. Going up against Cody really put some prestige to his appearance on the card. Mm-hmm. But it feels like a, an exhibition match to me. It could be an episode of Dynamite for me that it doesn't necessarily need to be a double or nothing pay per view event. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think that's pretty. I think that's the general feeling about it is that it doesn't have the stakes that they wanted it to going into Cody giving that promo didn't really land like I think they wanted it to for a lot of people this is the one I kind of already mentioned that they could really do kind of a weigh in nose to nose thing on Saturday uh, a go-go takes a shot at Cody maybe Cody comes out with his ribs bandage it becomes this big underdog story that would make a lot of sense of the cards seem stack against Cody in the first place and now he's only at 50% walking into that match something that that might make it more compelling might make it more entertaining might give cody something to work from aside from i don't know this weird like patriotic thing he did i think i like that he's going with the american dream for this one i feel like doing that he has to be more of an underdog than just walking in off a promo that's a great construct for it that would give some skin in the game wouldn't it especially with Anthony Gogo doing that like kind of gut punch, kidney shot, whatever. Cody's already weak in that area, you know. That's great booking for that. But knowing our show, he's going to go in on a flying carpet with a, <laughs> a crown made of angel tears. Like, it's not. <laughs> with our pension for calling things completely wrong. Yeah, 100%. When I say our pension, I'll raise my hand for that moniker. <laughs> and then rounding out the card... Adam Page is going up against Brian Cage. That lives in the same place as the Miro match for me, sort of how you were describing that. It's a match on the card. Yeah, I like Adam Page, so I'm excited to see him, but it does kind of feel like a dynamite match, which I think is kind of the danger of them running super high quality weekly shows, is then when you hit a pay-per-view, it's like, oh, like this could be a Wednesday. And especially with that recent announcement that there is a second show coming and Dynamite's going to move to TBS. Right. One of the pieces that came about as part of the announcement is they're going to do, aren't they, quarterly sort of like almost like Saturday night main events, this Tuesday in Texas sort of specials on TNT still. So they are running these high caliber free weekly TV shows, which uh, 
Maybe that's what this is. Maybe that's back to my original point. Of course, I'm a massive fan of AEW. We're massive fans of AEW, massive fans of wrestling. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for the pay-per-view, but maybe the caliber has just been so solid for so long. How the hell do you build pay-per-views when everything you do, essentially, for the most part, is so well put together? Right. And you end up with like this weird dichotomy where AEW, where they run these like really great weekly shows, and then you're big pay-per-views kind of lose something because your weekly show is kind of a pay-per-view feeling versus WWE running kind of shitty weekly shows that nobody really cares about in the hopes that they protect that big show. So I think somebody at some point has kind of found that middle ground of a good weekly show that's fun to watch and follow while having a really strong pay-per-view, kind of what NXT did for a long time before it went to that USA model but i think that's kind of the ideal of a great weekly and an incredible pay-per-view yeah and of course when you do 13 14 pay-per-views here as well yeah (laughs) talk about saturation you know right yeah of course last on the card or first on the card however it falls is the casino battle royale it is back this year 21 entrance Mm -hmm. you've got the likes of dustin rhodes in there you've got eve luno you've got flying brian you've got Mm -hmm. there's a host of people into that and of course the 21st entrant is a surprise want to stick your head out on any guesses i'm hoping it's one of the buffalo boys um blackwood and garcia have been getting a lot of booking there butcher is conspicuous in his absence on that list not going to place any money on it as <laughs> appropriate for the show, but uh, I would love for it to be one of them. How about you? Who do you think might show up? Yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to go with your uh, your sensible conservatism on the uh, on the betting side of things here. <laughs> and also, I have a proven track record of being 100% wrong. <laughs> There's been an awful lot of cuts recently. I'd be psyched if it was somebody they've been trying to sort of promote and grow and, mm. you know, that's already sort of featured beyond dark or something of that effect. Tony Khan does like himself a big reveal though, doesn't he? Yeah. And I can't even begin to think because there's just been so many cuts. And again, I think like we touched on a little bit in the last episode where we were talking about the choice in wrestling. I do think they have to be somewhat conscious for my money to a degree of keep signing release wwe talent just so that it doesn't become sort of a parody again if that's what it does become right i think it's time to promote people from within a little bit as well so i don't know i have absolutely no idea who that could be but it gives you pun intended again buy into the match doesn't it yeah and especially since we've talked about before we have this new element of the forbidden door (gasps) that wasn't there at this point last year so it's wide open who could be walking into that ring on Sunday? Double or nothing, it's Okada. I'm putting all my money on Okada showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the Impact Kato Green Lantern gimmick. <laughs> if we're right on that one, then we'll retire millionaires, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> DraftKings will take all of our money and we'll retire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want my boy Dustin to win the Casino Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. I want to see him get a good significant push and get some sort of silverware. I know he and Cody said... They would never fight again. But I still think there's some mileage in the two of them fighting somewhere down the road for the TNT Championship, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking fantasy booking. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the case when Dustin decides it's time to kind of hang up the boots, that maybe he'll get that last kind of mid-card title run. Sure. Overall, double or nothing season again. Psyched. Mm-hmm. 
my final statement F this shit of pay per views on Sunday night. <laughs> Come on, at AEW. I want a pay per view on a Saturday night. Yeah. Please and thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I'm in the building at seven o'clock, I'm running late. So please stop with the Sunday night shit. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said at the beginning, it is double or nothing. You know what that means. With that all said, want to, as always, give a super shout out to the Lunchdale Podcast Network for supporting us and just giving us a platform to talk all this wrestling. We are tremendously appreciative of all the support we've got. And there's some great podcasts on the network at this point between the Beer Review Journal, the Anomaly Presents, Film Festival Podcast, Caleb versus Self, Mimosas with My Besties, some real great stuff. Definitely check out the Lunch Door Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. I want to give a shout out to our socials and the theme, Josh. Yeah, so you can find us at IS Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, thank you to Alien Trilogy for the use of their song Michinoku Driver. As I always say, so excited to find such a great song that's wrestling themed. So thank you to them for letting us use that for our show. Amazing song. Hope you enjoyed Double or Nothing, folks. We're super psyched for it. Thanks for giving us a listen. We'll see you next time. See ya. Michinoku Driver! Driver!